0: Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Now with 3 locations across the Triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair. All tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of 5-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer and auto repair. Visit us on Facebook or at beamretire.com.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. You can catch us on Franchise Players every Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. here in Triad on Tobacco TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Starting off, today's show I had to bring in good friend David Glenn to talk uh, some stuff regarding college basketball. We're in the middle, in the thick of March Madness, and I needed to hear the opinions of DG on what we are seeing because I'm kind of feeling a certain way. DG, what's going on, man? How you doing this morning?
0: I am doing great, Dez. Good to be with you as always.
1: So I gotta what I want to do. Typically on Tuesdays we do what's called true/false, where basically I'm going to ask you a question, throw up a topic for you, softball, and you're going to tell me true/false and why. Um, And I wanted to do it based off of uh, what we're seeing uh, in uh, first in Chapel Hill. Let's start there. We're still not sure as of this uh, this segment what the deal is going to be with the post players at Carolina that are still there that have not you know, told us what their decision is going to be, that being senior Garrison Brooks, who, who actually is eligible for a fifth year of eligibility due to COVID and everything else that went on this year, and Armando Baycott, who we have no idea what he's doing at this point. Um, true or false, DG? UNC will have both Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott back next season.
0: I'd say false. Garrison Brooks has given us not a whole lot on his plans. He did say that he was going to consider coming back for that sort of COVID, COVID super senior year. But a lot of guys his age, even if they know they're not an NBA prospect, they're just ready to get on with their lives. right? Hmm. They have their degree. They know they have a chance to make six figures somewhere else in the world, even if they can't make their NBA dream come true. So we'll see. I could be wrong about that one, but I think the odds of both of those come guys coming back... Are pretty
1: low. I I agree with you with Garrison. I remember, you know, senior year of college is ready to just, as much as I loved college, I was just ready for something else. And if you do something for four years like that, especially the years that Garrison's had, Garrison's seen the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows during his four years at Carolina. And although I don't think he would, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's not going to get drafted in the NBA, I do think he could carve out a 10 year career, you know, in Europe or overseas someplace uh, with the type of game he has. So, I'm with you. I think I'm, I'm leaning towards Baycott returning, and hopefully, uh, Carolina will pick up someone in this transfer portal that we'll talk about in just a second to help out down in the post. Uh, follow David Glenn at David Glenn Show on Twitter. No ACC schools made it to the Elite Eight this year, DG. Only Syracuse and Florida State even made it to the Sweet 16. True or false? There wasn't a single ACC team worthy of an Elite Eight appearance this season.
0: I'd say that's true. You know, this was a weird year in a lot of ways. And as you know, I've been around for a while. I started covering this league in 1987. And as strange as this sounds, you know, the final polls come out even before the NCAA tournament starts. And the last time the Atlantic Coast Conference did not have a single team ranked in the top 10 of any of the major polls in men's basketball was 1960. Wow. (laughs) More more than 60 (laughs) years ago. So you knew something was not quite the same. And as much as I admired many things about UVA and Florida State, and even the Tar Heels had a nice little run prior to the postseason, there was no super heavyweight in this league. And when I watched Baylor play, it looked like a better version of basketball than anything in the ACC. And when I watched Gonzaga play, I felt the same way. And when I watched Illinois or Michigan to the Big Ten play, again, I felt the same way. And if I've covered this league for 34 years or whatever it is, is, are probably 31 or 32 years where I included the ACC among my super heavyweights with one or two or sometimes even three teams. This year, I just never felt that way. And whether you measured it by top 10 team, team rankings or future lottery picks, This league just did not have as many of those things as it usually does. So, no, nobody was worthy of an Elite Eight trip. Florida State and UVA probably came the closest. uh, But, you know, the Seminoles were dispatched pretty handily by Michigan. And then UVA ran into that train wreck where they didn't get to practice for eight days, uh, so, so they may might have had uh, kind of a, help, a little help unpleasantly on their way out the door. Uh,
1: I'm a stick. I'm a stay right there, kind of in the NCAA world with March Madness going on. Um, I've been feeling kind of. <sighs> almost indifferent towards this tournament. Like No matter what I do, I can't seem to get myself (laughs) up for it. (laughs) I don't know if it's because I'm a Carolina fan and they they went out super early or the ACC is just done before the end of the second weekend. I'm not sure what it is, but I did sit down and I kind of force fed it to myself over the weekend. I sat down and watched the Gonzaga game. I sat down and watched parts of the Florida State-Michigan game. And I don't know, I just... I don't have the same excitement towards it. True or false, DG, I should be more excited about this particular tournament than I actually am because of the the double-digit upsets and Cinderella's and everything else that went on. I should be more excited than I actually am, true or false.
0: I'm going to say true, Des. (laughs) Now, you feel you and you be you, but if UCLA or Oregon State, these really double-digit seeds, if they somehow turn what is already a Cinderella story into something better— That would be a first in the history of the NCAA tournament because the lowest seed ever to win this event was eight-seed Villanova way back in 1985. So history has a chance to be made there by a Cinderella. Even if that unlikely scenario does not happen, you may not share my feelings about this, but I think it's neat when a school that has never been to the top of the mountain gets to the top of the mountain. And in the time you and I have known each other, for example— even if it was only an ACC basketball title, I was there when Miami won it for the first time. I was Hmm. there when Florida State won it for the first time. I was there when Notre Dame won it for the first time. That doesn't mean it's not fun when Duke or Carolina add to their long list of ACC titles. It just means that from a human element, there's something cool about seeing a fan base or a group of players or even a coach who may have worked for a long time never to reach that mountaintop. And right now, remember, Gonzaga has never won the NCAA title. Baylor has never won the NCAA title. And there are other examples in this Final Eight. So most people like those stories, even if they have sort of fallen asleep on some of the basketball-specific stories. Or as you said, there's a whole lot of people in our part of the country who are less interested just because we're spoiled around here, man. We almost always (laughs) have a team or two. In the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and this year it just wasn't that that wasn't the case.
1: I I think that might be part of it. It's not even so much just the ACC, but blue bloods in general. I think we've been preconditioned to think of you know Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas uh, to be sniffing around this weekend because that's usually where we see the the big stars we're going to see for the next ten years at the next level. And through COVID, through guys picking other places to go instead of those blue bloods. Uh, we're starting to see some of them go down to HBCUs and other places or just skipping it entirely and going to the G League. So it's kind of changing the paradigm of like the path to get to the pros that, that I've been brought up on for the past 40 plus years and it's caused me to not know what to do with myself. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to, who to follow because I will start paying more attention after we get out of this weekend. Of course for the Final Four in the National Championship, the team that you mentioned that I've been keeping an eye on all year, of course, is Gonzaga. Uh, They're continuing to run through this uh, first undefeated season since Indiana in 1976. True or false, Gonzaga will not make it to the national championship game.
0: I'm going to say false. I picked the Zags to win it all. And I say that as somebody who has not been a big believer in the Zags in the past. Because remember, Mark Few has been the head coach at Gonzaga now for more than 20 years. And he has made the NCAA tournament every single year, which is impressive regardless of what conference you might be coming from. For the first 15 years of that time, Des, it was really predictable. Gonzaga would dominate its league, get an NCAA tournament bid, and be gone on the first weekend. I mean, Hmm. for 15 years in a row, the reality was the heavyweights of college basketball were too good for the best program in the West Coast Conference, period. You can look it up. It was plain as day to see. For the last five years, at least those years where there was a tournament, Gonzaga has made long runs. And folks around here probably remember that when Carolina won it all four years ago, it was Gonzaga as the runner-up in that national championship game. Right. I believe this is Mark. I believe that was Mark Few's second best team that lost to Carolina in the title game. I believe this is Mark Few's best team. So I think the older rules about Gonzaga should be thrown out the door. Uh, Will I be right? We'll see. Uh, Anything can happen, as we've seen over and over in March Madness. But I, I don't believe that the rules of the Zags that reigned for 15 years apply anymore And Mark Few's done a really good job of making long runs in more recent years.
1: You know, it's crazy. If you take the word Gonzaga out of what you said, you could almost apply that to a school like UNCG. You know, like it's kind of on the same type of path. Gonzaga was on 10, 12 years ago. I don't know if they could be able to keep Wes Miller for the next 15 years, but uh, it sounds sort of similar to that. A mid-major, underdog, plays well against the top teams. And for 10 years, they just couldn't get over that hump. And now they're hunted. And they seem to be handling it really well. Um, I was really impressed watching them against Creighton uh, this weekend, where it just felt like it just felt like they were in control of the game, like the entire game. Even when it was still kind of tight in the first half, you never got the sense that Gonzaga was going to lose their poise or, or or the lead or anything. So I think that too is taking some of the drama out of it. However, I do I'm looking at the rest of the field now, and I'm thinking. I'm not so worried about Baylor beating them in the national championship game. I'm kind of looking at Michigan in the final four. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing that if that comes to pass, Gonzaga, Michigan final four, uh, this upcoming, I guess it would be, it's still Saturday, Monday for the final four national yeah. championship. Cause they, they changed all the, all the stuff around, uh, this year for when you actually watch these games. Um, let's, let's get out of, uh, college basketball for a second. I want to move over to the NFL. Um, and I got to talk about Deshaun Watson. Three more lawsuits accruing against Deshaun Watson of sexual, well, accusing, excuse me, Deshaun Watson of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct as of Sunday, which brings the total to 19 as of this recording. True or false, Deshaun Watson's NFL career is now at jeopardy.
0: False. Um, I think the more we learn, the more we realize that he dramatically underestimated whatever was being Uh, requested of him prior to this becoming a public story and maybe we'll ultimately learn the truth in all likelihood we will not learn the truth but after being adamant about being unwilling to settle these cases now there are reports that deshaun watson and his representatives are asking about possible settlements Nine mm. times out of ten in these situations, Des, the superstar athlete finds a way to continue his career. It might be an expensive way to continue his career, uh, but he certainly has deep enough pockets to pay to make many of these cases go away. And I haven't seen anything so far yet that would, you know, send him to prison if the if the cases continued down a certain path. So I'm gonna bet that he's he remain he resumes an NFL career. I'm just not sure how much indigestion there's going to be between now and then.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I've I've definitely seen the uh, Watson to Carolina rumors kind of start dying down a little bit as it starts to mount and mount and mount. But again, You never know what's going to happen with this as, uh, you know, everyone's just more than willing to let this kind of play out. Let's stay in the NFL real quick and uh, talk about our beloved Carolina Panthers. They actually watched multiple teams move around their pick at number eight uh, last Friday. True or false, the Panthers are not targeting a quarterback with the eighth pick.
0: uh, I'll say false. I think they have to keep it on their radar. Targeting is a great word. That's what makes you a great questioner. But I think so much depends on how other dominoes fall into place. Um, what they think they can get if they don't draft a quarterback in that first round. So uh, that's kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. I'm fascinated to see. David Tepper, you can read between the lines, he, he wants his next quarterback. He wants you know what Cam Newton was once for the Panthers, that young guy that you thought would be around for a long time. And they just don't have that right now. So if you don't get it via trade with a Deshaun Watson or somebody else, you'd be crazy not to at least look at your options, assuming you stay at number eight.
1: What are your, Now, this isn't a true false question, but just uh, as a bonus, what are your thoughts on Mac Jones? Because it feels like he's, he's, he's that one quarterback every year that shoots up the draft board that either uh, went too far up the draft board or everyone just missed out on him. Um, I'm not too sure about him because, yes, he threw for 77% completion rate at Alabama. They won the national championship. But he was surrounded by so much talent that I I just can't figure out if he's worth the Panthers drafting at eight. It almost looks like San Francisco jumped up to three to get him. Uh, What are your thoughts on Mac Jones or even Trey Lance from North Dakota State, who both may be there at eight if the Panthers just wait for one of these quarterbacks to fall down to him?
0: Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it in Mac Jones. Not that he can't be an NFL quarterback or even an NFL starting quarterback, but I remember years ago when Deshaun Watson was coming out of Clemson and Mitch Trubisky was coming out of UNC in that same year, same draft. Every show I was on asked me, you know, if I was a GM, which one I would take. And you know how people hold your answers against you forever, Des? Thank goodness (laughs) I was smart enough to say Deshaun Watson would have been my guy. And and it was – it was for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, his championship pedigree, of course, uh, is something I respect. Mac Jones has that as well. The dual threat aspects, I think Deshaun Watson has a little bit more of that than Mac Jones does. And I think your point about his supporting cast is well taken. Um, I mean, both Mitch Trubisky and Deshaun Watson had good for supporting casts as well. So you have to learn to read between the lines beyond that. When I watch Mac Jones play... I see a great college quarterback who might be a good NFL quarterback. And to me, that's not good enough to take at number eight overall.
1: Yeah, I'm a little nervous, though, with the the Panthers coaching staff being the ones that were at the Senior Bowl, and they got to watch this kid for a week. So although they might have seen some stuff that neither one of us have seen in this guy, I'm still super nervous that they're going to draft him at eight if he's still sitting there. I've actually come around on Trey Lance after his pro day in terms of, it doesn't appear that the the Panthers are going to do anything with Teddy Bridgewater in terms of roster wise, that he will be on the roster for year two of this three-year deal that he signed. And it almost feels like the original plan was year one, Teddy's the starter year two, you bring in someone that Teddy can kind of be the bridge to get to you cut him after year two. You don't really have any dead money on the cap for Teddy after the season's over with the new guy starts. So you almost have like a Alex Smith, Pat Mahomes type scenario where Mahomes was able to sit for a year and learn Andy Reid's offense before jumping into it head first. I like that idea. I just don't know if the guy that they want to hand the throne to would be still sitting there at eight. Um, And I don't want them to reach either, but I'm more worried that they won't get a guy at all. And this will be the highest the Panthers pick for a while because they just have too much talent on the roster for me to think they're going to keep losing, you know, 11, 12 games of the season.
0: I think it's a fair question to ask and throw one more name into that mix as we contemplate this picture. Justin Fields of Ohio state is a guy that some people believe the Panthers will look at at number eight. And, and that's a guy who obviously transferred from Georgia to Ohio state to get that big opportunity, you know, 41 touchdowns and only three interceptions in 2019. I mean, that'll, that'll catch yeah. your eye. And then a pretty good follow-up 70% completion rate as uh, in his follow-up season with the Buckeyes, although it, it was a shortened season, obviously he can run it a little bit, he can throw it a lot. Uh, he did a good job, I think, of you know cutting down on some turnovers in his final season with the Buckeyes. Comes from that winning pedigree uh, and has at least some some things in common with a Deshaun Watson. So all yeah, of these guys are going to get scrutinized, Des, because you know the deal. We've, yeah. we've we've seen what the Panthers can look like. When they simply don't have any good quarterbacks, and in Ugh. one year that's what they looked
1: like, turned out to be <laughs> one and fifteen. Oh gosh, um, yeah. And Justin Fields is a curious case to me because if you took the name away and just said, "Hey, here's a guy that played in a Power Five conference, went like thirty-two and two, or whatever the record was," and those two losses were to Alabama and to Clemson in the national semifinal and national championship game in two years, and he threw for over seventy percent completions, won conference championships. It'd be a no-brainer. We'll run into the podium and get him. But for some reason, it feels like Fields is kind of, I don't know, it's like no one wants to attach themselves to Justin Fields. And I almost feel like it's the Panthers that they're thinking Fields may be that one quarterback. Like, there's always one that rises in the poll. There's always one that drops. Like, it gets out of further than where you think they're going to get drafted. I could see Fields being on the board at eight and the Panthers, you know, going after him. Like, I really could. But I don't know what that's going to do for the fan base. I just don't know if they're going to, like that (laughs) pick or not but you know the panthers fan base we can be quite fickle when uh when we want (laughs) to be
0: the (laughs) bottom line is they know they got to get it right as much as the fans matter in so many ways they really don't matter on draft day because the reality is whatever criticism you get on draft day if you're right about an unpopular pick those critics somehow disappear into the woodwork now if you're wrong it comes back to bite you but, oh, yeah, <laughs> in the right. The most important position on the field, you know, you're going to make a lot of, of those enemies into your friends and in, in, over time.
1: Let's end it right there. You heard it from the best David Glenn on uh, franchise players here. Uh, DG, really appreciate you coming on. doing a little true false with us this morning. Hope everything's going well with you, man.
0: Always fun. Dennis. Take care, man. Enjoy the rest of March Madness.
1: Coming up, we go around Tobacco Road. What's the latest in sports from the ACC Big Four and others, such as uh, North Carolina ANT and Amp State? We'll be back in just a bit. Franchise players, Tobacco Road sports back To franchise players, I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. It is Tuesday, so let's go around Tobacco Road. Franchise players brought to you by Beamer Tire and Auto in Kernersville. Um, let's uh, start off with North Carolina. Let's go to Chapel Hill. The Carolina football spring game is set for Saturday, April the 24th at 3 p.m. and will air on the ACC network. UNC is planning to have fans at the spring game, as currently allowed by state health regulations. Carolina began their spring practice on Tuesday, March 23rd, with the first of allotted 15 different workouts. Carolina's team will feature a Heisman Trophy candidate and quarterback Sam Howell. They return 21 of 22 starters from the Orange Bowl. They add a top 15 recruiting class, and they are recognized as one of the nation's top teams heading into the fall of 2021. Season tickets for Carolina football are available for new deposits and renewals by visiting www.gohills.com forward slash renew. Fans may also call UNC ticket office at 919-962-2296, Monday through Friday, 830 a.m. to 430 p.m. Let's go eight miles up the highway to Duke and Durham. The Duke baseball team scored in three of its opening four innings, including a five run third to propel itself past number 11, Georgia Tech nine to seven in the series finale on Sunday at the Durham Bulls athletic park. The Blue Devils nationally ranked opponent made things interesting late when they pulled within one at eight to seven in the top of the seventh. Fortunately, senior Michael Rothenberg added an insurance run in the bottom half following his second home run of the year to ultimately put the game away the boca raton florida native paced duke after finishing three for three with two doubles a home run a walk two runs scored and an rbi his three hits were a season high the blue doubles return to action on tuesday when they host liberty at the durham bulls athletic park the first pitch is scheduled for 4 pm off to raleigh and nc state falling behind by 13 points in the fourth quarter Top-seeded NC State women's basketball team made a furious comeback to make it a one-possession game in the final 90 seconds, but a three-pointer at the buzzer for the tie was no good, and the women pack season ended with a 73-70 loss in the Sweet 16 to number 4 Indiana in the NCAA women's basketball tournament. Indiana started the game just 8 of 27 from the field and fell behind by as many as 11 in the first quarter but the Hoosiers went on to hit 15 of the next 18 shots and captured a 14-point lead in the third quarter. Down by 10, with 2.51 remaining, the Pack put together an 8-0 run to make it a one-possession game with 1.29 remaining. The Hoosiers didn't hit three free throws in the final 21 seconds, and the Pack's three-point attempt, tied at the buzzer, was no good. 2021 ACC Tournament Champion Lady Wolf Pack season ends with a fantastic record of 22-3. Off to the tray, Wake Forest, Wake Forest women's soccer won in dominant fashion, riding three goals from three different Demon Deacons to shut out Elon 3-0 in an action-packed match at Spirey Stadium on Sunday afternoon. The Deacons struck first with a 19th-minute goal off of the right foot of Ashley Frank. The forward took a strong first touch off of a pass from Sophie Faircloth to open up and fire a shot outside the 18-yard box into the bottom left corner for the opening goal. Less than 10 minutes later, a Wake Forest cross hit the hand of an Elon defender inside the Phoenix box. Fairclough got the nod to take the 27th minute penalty kick for the Demon Deacons. The true freshman did not hesitate as she fired the ball to the right corner that was securely out of the reach of the keeper. The third goal came when Shayla Smart dribbled around the Phoenix defender and slotted a cross net dime in the bottom left corner. The Popka Florida native would put a nail in the coffin for any Elon hopes to come back in the 69th minute. The three goals came after an offensive onslaught from Wake Forest. The Deacons outshot Elon 21-9 for the entire game. Off to Greensboro, North Carolina a We talked about these guys a couple of weeks ago and they're back in the headlines again. It wasn't enough for junior Daniel Stokes, sophomore Randolph Ross Jr. and seniors Elijah, L- Elijah Young and Trevor Stewart to be the best in the nation. They're now looking for world domination. The North Carolina a men's outdoor track and field 4x400 four meter relay team ran the fastest time in the world to date by winning the 4x400, excuse me, the 4x400 four uh, relay at the 93rd annual Clyde Littlefield Texas Relays, hosted by the University of Texas at Mike A. Meyer Stadium. The four Aggies ran a three. Uh, three minute twenty-three second. Excuse me. Three minute zero second twenty-three milliseconds. Almost a full second faster than the second-place LSU at three oh one oh oh. The Aggies, who led from start to finish in the race, now own the eleventh-fastest time in history. They also came up just short of breaking the facility record, which stands at two fifty-nine oh five. I'm happy for our four x four team," said Dwayne Ross, A&T's director of track and field. Uh, programs. This is what we are supposed to do. We feel that we're the best in the world at it, so this time, and even faster times in the future, are expected. Two weeks ago, the same foursome captured the NCAA Division I National Championship in the 4x400 indoor race at the University of Arkansas. Stokes and Ross Jr. took the first two legs, respectively, and combined to run a 1-30-16. Young then took the baton and ran his split in 45 0.73 seconds before Stewart closed things out on the anchor leg while running his split in an impressive 44.35 seconds. The Aggies head the University of Florida next to participate in the Florida relays. That will come your way April 2nd and 3rd. Let's head towards the mountains in App State. Improved a 4-2 in league play and won a Sunbelt game in Statesboro for the second time since both programs joined the league. Uh, making a Sunday start for the second straight weekend Paul earned another win by allowing just one run on four hits in six efficient innings. He finished with four strikeouts. Ellington recorded his second save by retiring nine of the ten batters he faced in three innings. Counting his scoreless appearance Friday, he didn't allow a run in five and two innings during the season. Ellington began his Sunday appearance by retiring seven straight Eagles before he hit a batter with a 3-2 offering with one away in the ninth. A groundout and a strikeout with one runner aboard sealed the win against Georgia Southern. Hall improves to 6-0 in his career, including 4-0 this season, with a 2.40 ERA in 11 appearances. In his first two starts of his young career, he's 2-0 with two runs allowed and 12 strikeouts in 11 innings. Young's third homer of the season, a 412-foot shot over the blue monster in the right, gave the Mountaineers a 3-0 lead in the top of the sixth inning. They scored twice in the third as Andrew Terrell went to first after being hit by a pitch, advanced to second on an errant pickoff attempt, and then reached third on a ball four wild pitch to Peyton Idol. Bailey Welch produced a sacrifice fly as Georgia Southern's second baseman met an over-the-shoulder catch in the short right, and Idle's first to third movement on Luke Drumheller's single to center set up an RBI groundout for Young. Cross and Idle, who led off the game with a double, both went one for three as App State also finished with four hits. Hall pitched around a leadoff double in the bottom of the first, following that hit with back-to-back strikeouts, and he retired 15 of the 18 batters in the first five innings. In that time, he allowed single base runners in three frames. A leadoff double in the bottom of the sixth set up a sacrifice fly that cut App State's lead to -to 3-1 with two away. After back-to-back walks, Hall's only free passes of the day, a flyout to left preserved the two-run lead. The Mountaineers return to action today at Wake Forest. That has been your round Tobacco Road. We'll be back with more franchise players right after this. franchise players. I am your host, Jasmine Johnson. The Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast can be found on the Believe podcast network. In season, you can find myself and my co-host, Tyrone Poole, who is the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers in the 1995 draft, uh, giving you some analysis, game recaps, previews, uh, and interviews with the top beat writers uh, following the Carolina Panthers uh, across the country. Before that, uh, what I wanted to do, we're going to do a short series on the NFC South and teams in the NFC South. Uh, and starting off with the Atlanta Falcons, we've got Brian Giffen on the line with us right now. He is uh, one of the hosts of the Believe in Falcons podcast on the same Believe podcast network. Brian, how are you doing this morning?
2: Doing great, Dez. Doing great. It's always good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, let's dive right in because I'm curious uh, as we uh, as we embark on this uh Mini series of the NFC South. How some of you guys uh, over on the Believe Podcast Network are feeling about your teams currently as we steamroll towards the NFL Draft? Uh, for starters, uh, with the Falcons, Brian, what do you think has been the biggest offseason move to date for the Falcons in your mind?
2: Well, uh, because of the situation they were in financially, uh, I think that obviously the and and the lack of on-field success, the obvious. Answer to that question is a revamping and and starting a new culture from the top with a new general manager, of course, in Terry Fontenot, and then Arthur Smith coming over from the Titans, and then they've of course filled out the staff. But culturally, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because everybody knows that pays much attention to the numbers. They were in a pretty difficult situation salary cap wise. Uh, they've done various restructures here in the off season, getting ready for the league year that just started. But it's apparent at this point, because of where they were, at least as it stands, the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones era will continue here for the foreseeable. To me, there are a lot of question marks with the draft approaching because of your somewhat limited financial situation, but also there are needs all over the field that need to be filled. So it's going to be intriguing to see how the combo of Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith fill these out and how they attack 2021.
1: Follow Brian on Twitter at GIF radio, G I F F radio. Um, Brian Griffin, host of the Atlanta Falcons uh, Believe podcast uh, on the Believe podcast network. Brian, what do you think is the plan at quarterback? Are, are the Falcons content to go with Matt Ryan, who, if I'm not mistaken, is 35 uh, or the they eyeing a quarterback with pick number four in the draft? If so, what quarterback between Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, are you thinking the Falcons are actually leaning towards with that number four pick?
2: Well, you know, to begin with, uh, obviously, you mentioned Matt Ryan's age. I believe he's actually 36 as we sit here today. Mm. But, you know, in an ideal world, how often again, even if you finish middle of the pack, which would be an improvement coming off of four and 12, when is the next time in an ideal scenario you would draft as high as fourth? And everybody kind of acknowledges if you throw Mac Jones into the mix, they're, really four quarterbacks. And and if you put Trey Lance in there as well, now maybe five quarterbacks atop this draft, but clearly Trevor Lawrence is probably the best of the bunch. And, you know, there's been some discussion or some debate about Zach Wilson and, or Justin Fields, but It's really, so you've got needs all over the place, but it appears based on what they've done financially, the plan is to keep Matt Ryan certainly through this year and likely beyond that because the restructure they just did with him and the restructures they've done with various others really puts them back into a precarious salary cap situation beyond this year. Now, the salary cap threshold will go up exponentially for 2022, but nobody knows what that's going to be. And you've still got a lot of things to address monetarily to be able to position yourself to draft a quarterback or to, to uh, proceed with Matt Ryan. Drafting a quarterback seems like the logical thing to me. But if you look back, Des over Matt Ryan's career, it somewhat mirrors that of Dan Marino in that. And you know, he puts up monstrous numbers. He's a great player through his career. Uh, he's, I think, certainly a Hall of Famer. But the parts around him have never, other than maybe 2016, really been completely in place to where it gets him over the hump and he wins the Super Bowl. A lot like Dan Marino. Hmm. It's all about having everything else around that quarterback to be able to succeed. And I'm not sure other than the one year where they kind of caught lightning in a bottle in 2016, that they've ever completely filled that out with the right pieces in all the other places.
1: Kind of reminds me of the Panthers a little bit. Uh, I know both franchises that, that went through stretches where the Panthers still have yet to have back-to-back winning seasons. I know the Falcons went through that for a little while too. I, I think you guys actually got past that hump uh, not too long yeah, ago. Yeah, they right? did.
2: They did in the Mike Smith era and had had back-to-back winning seasons for the first time in franchise history. This is
1: history that goes back to 1966, so uh, (laughs) that's a ways. Yeah, I'm still waiting on ours uh, here in in the Carolinas. Um, I'm kind of intrigued. Well, maybe intrigued is the wrong word. I'm a little curious about uh mac jones from alabama there's always a quarterback every year that flies up the draft board as we get closer to the draft and it seems like mac jones is that guy uh he had a great uh pro day he had a great senior season considering who he was throwing to and who he was handing off to with that alabama squad do you think that jones is cause everyone's saying that jones is like the most ready to step in at the pro level uh he completed 77 percent of his passes last year but he was thrown to the Heisman Trophy winner and, you know, Jalen Waddle. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's not like right. he wasn't throwing anyone out there. But he, from what I've seen film-wise, he seems very poised, has a good enough arm. I don't know if I want the Panthers taking him at eight, though. It's kind of like the Daniel Jones situation a couple of years ago where I felt like the, the Giants reached to get him there. But then I always heard, hey, if that's your guy, you go get your guy. You don't worry about what position he's in. You think well, there's a guy like that for the Falcons at four?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. I mean, the cautionary tale in the history of the league, I'll give you a great example. You look all the way back to Gino Toretta, who won a Heisman Trophy at University of Miami. Mm -hmm. Mac Jones, and this doesn't diminish him as a player, and it certainly doesn't diminish what his prospects are as a pro player. But when you're in a system where all the pieces around you generally are superior players to about everybody on the opposing team's roster week in and week out. How do you really gauge how that translates to a league where talent, physical talent at least, across the board is fairly even from one team to the next throughout the National Football League? How it plays at the next level will be an interesting question to answer. I mean, back for a second to what I was talking about, the comparison between matt ryan and dan marino and maybe even dan fouts in their careers oh yeah i cool. mean you have to have so many things in place you've got to have stability on your offensive line it really starts with the protection but you also what do what do championship teams do well in the national football league a they run the football as a compliment to that quarterback that can throw it all over the yard B, they play good defense. You've got to have stability in the front. You've got to have a beast of a running back and or a tandem of players at running back to shore up and give you the balance that you need to win. And you have to play good defense. So there's so many questions to be answered. Mentioning that offensive line, you know, Alex Mack signed with the San Francisco 49ers. So now you have a hole at center, which is... Probably after left tackle, the most important position on the O-line because you're going to make the calls, you're going to make the blocking assignments, you're in such a leadership and communication role as a center. So yet another hole and another question that has to be answered for this team as they start to craft themselves and build themselves into what they hope is a balanced championship type of team.
1: Out of those three quarterbacks that I had mentioned, though, is there one that not necessarily for the the Falcons? Is there one that you like more than the others uh, between Fields, Jones and Lance?
2: You know, honestly, the one that I think I've liked the best of what I've seen, and I've paid attention to these things, is Zach Wilson out of BYU. The other thing that, that compounds matters as we sit right here with the draft approaching and now we're, you know, a couple of weeks or a week and a half into the new league year is this trade that Miami and San Francisco just made. There's been some buzz that San Francisco covets Mac Jones, but there also is the question here whether or not the top three quarterbacks are going to be gone before the falcons draft as early as fourth Mm -hmm. so a a lot is up in the air with some of the movement that's been made pre-draft here and You know, it's funny, the era that we live in, Des, I mean, the 49ers just threw buckets of money at Jimmy Garoppolo a couple of years ago, and now it appears that they're ready to jump ship on him. So it's anybody's guess how all this is going to play out, but there's one certain thing here. The NFL, as is kind of the cliche, is a quarterback-driven league, and when you get administrative changes, philosophical changes, people at the top... You know, all of a sudden, the people that are running the franchise, the guy who is there may not be, quote unquote, their guy. And I think that makes this as intriguing a draft approaching as we've had in a long, long time.
1: On the line with Brian Giffen, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast, as we tour the NFC South on our way to the 2021 NFL draft. Um, what are the biggest draft day needs for the Falcons this year? You know, outside of, you know, yes, your quarterback is 36, but although Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and others are... Uh, making it where it's not so bad to be in your late 30s and be a quarterback in the NFL. What what other needs do you think are, are more pressing for the Falcons right now that they can address days one and two in the NFL draft?
2: Well, uh, obviously the center uh, position that I mentioned a moment ago with Alex Mack signing with San Francisco and leaving, that's kind of a big question mark. On the other hand, between Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry and a couple of others, you've got a relatively young core Offensive line wise, there's a lot of ability and potential there, but you know, whether or not that plays and they form a cohesive unit that can perform the way that they need it to perform remains to be seen they also have had this perpetual year in and year out need for an edge rusher. They failed miserably twice in the Dimitrov era between Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley. It wasn't as much that those two guys weren't physically capable of being good edge rushers, but neither ended up having the character and or, you know, the commitment as teammates. It may not have been the right chemistry. There's a lot of variables that play into this. They of course have Dante Fowler, who they signed as a free agent last year, but edge rushers are obviously a hot commodity around the league and pressuring quarterbacks has been a problem more often year in and year out for this franchise than not. And then The other glaring one is, back to that balance thing again, the Todd Gurley experiment last year. you know He was effective in terms of scoring touchdowns, red zone stuff, short yardage situations, and he did have flashes. But I'm not so sure that was as much that Todd Gurley wasn't what he used to be or as much as it was that Dirk Cutter perhaps didn't run an offense that was conducive to emphasizing his strength. So I kind of see Najee Harris – from Alabama as a guy that they would covet and would mm. love to have as a running back, because maybe that creates some of that balance where you can run the football. But that's another thing that they've not really consistently done other than the 2016 year when Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman kind of tandemed and made themselves into an effective running game to compliment Ryan.
1: Yeah. I would say, especially for Ryan, you know, being up there at 36, you know, having a, a young running back on a rookie deal, high-end guy like Najee Harris would be great for the Falcons offense, to be honest. Um, and you guys would just keep uh bringing in Alabama guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can't go wrong with that there. Absolutely. Um, What are your biggest takeaways from new head coach Arthur Smith? Because you guys had a coaching change. Uh, This is going to be year one for him, new regime. What are some of the things that you're seeing from, uh, you know, Zoom conferences, quotes to the media, how he seems to be handling things? What, what, are, what are your initial takes of uh, Smith and the type of coach he's going to be?
2: Well, it's going to be interesting to see because any coach is going to be measured and any coach is going to succeed or fail by the players that he has. And in the current situation around the league where general managers make so many, so many of the decisions where it relates to personnel – Being on the same page, those two guys, the GM and the coach, is such a critical component. But everything I've seen so far, it certainly appears that I love the the smash mouth basic, get down, be able to run the football. And look what he did with Ryan Tannehill. You know, you create that balance, you create a great running game, you establish yourself a good solid front that can protect what quarterback you have. And Tannehill has had been a guy who's really thrived, and most of us thought he was ready for the scrap peep when he left Miami and wound up with Tennessee, got himself a nice contract Mm -hmm. out of the deal too. So going to be interesting to see. Obviously the coaches are again, defined by the players and how the players perform. And thus far though, they're saying the right things. I love the idea. Uh, Look at what they did. And of course there's not so many Derek Henry's in the world, but look what they did in Tennessee with Arthur's offense. And I think that emphasizes to a degree, maybe the need to go get a guy along the lines of a Najee Harris that is a power back, but also one that, you know, has that breakaway capability to really carry the load in an offense. Another thing about this offense is, and it, it really exacerbates the need to add that running component, the effective running component, is Matt Ryan's lack of mobility. He's not a guy who is going to do a lot of zone read stuff and run around the pocket. Sure, he can scramble a little bit here and there. But he's primarily a pocket guy, and certainly at this stage of his career, that would be the case. So creating balance, I think, is going to be the big, big deal for this franchise.
1: Uh, looking around the uh, the rest of the NFC South, of course, the uh, defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers reside in our neighborhood, uh, led by... 106-year-old Tom Brady, that quarterback, <laughs> who didn't seem to be slowing down a bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bucs returning all of their starters from the Super Bowl winning team? Uh, would you bet on the Bucs to repeat, or would you take the field?
2: I certainly would Would mark that down as a distinct possibility. I mean, the Bucs' success this last year, yes, they added a number of components to their team, but you know the old adage that it's a quarterback league, I don't think could be any more true and certainly there couldn't be any better example than what just happened in tampa bay i'm of the belief des that you know the talent across the league the physical talent is is fairly equivalent from one franchise to the next after that it's what's in the heart what's between the ears who leads and how well the coach's message resonates buy-in is such a big intangible where it comes to professional football and, you know, the era that we're in with all the money that's tossed around and all the money these guys are making. And I don't really believe there are big talent disparities from one team to the next. And the great example of that is that, yes, they added more than just Tom Brady, but look at the difference in the Bucks from one year to the next with the right pieces in place and the right guy calling signals under center.
1: The uh, you know, it's funny with the Bucks too because the Bucks, uh, to me, they weren't even the best team in our division last year. I thought it was the right. Saints, you know, right. and they just kind of got hot at the end of the year, um, and then just really turned it on during the playoffs. They kind of figured out the running game. Uh, li- people kind of forget Leonard Fournette was like the fourth overall selection in the NFL yeah. draft, like what was it, like three years ago. Like, I mean, yeah. I-, I didn't understand when Jacksonville cut him, and he kind of got a second, uh. Second life in Tampa, and he was the final piece to sign that was a starter that's coming back. So basically, Tom Brady has a young, bruising running back behind him in Fournette. He's got one of the better wide receiver cores in the league with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and those boys. Uh, He's got tight ends. He's got uh, offensive line. He's got one of the top defenses in the league. There's really no way to suggest that Tom Brady won't be in the thick of things as he has been for the past 20 years, (laughs) you know, like with this Tampa team overall, though, looking at the NFL, who has impressed you the most this offseason? You mentioned Miami earlier in the segment with the the movement they did uh, last week with the 49ers and then trading back up to get to the uh, the Eagles number six spot. Miami is sitting on a a cash cow of picks over the next like three or four years. Uh, Multiple first round selections from multiple teams and all of it seems like it came from that Laramie-Tunsell deal that they did with Houston uh, a year or so ago, and they kind of just spawned it out into these other things. Is there another team besides Miami that's really impressed you this offseason with what they've been doing?
2: Well, I think you could make a case for Arizona with the additions that they've made in the, in the offseason. Of course, the biggest name is J.J. Watt, but you know the cautionary tale with free agents, there's been far more invested in over the years that have not panned out the way people what happened i got a dialogue that said my phone was overheating oh wow <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen that before but yeah, okay i never seen that I, guess. Yeah, I don't know where you lost me there i was just uh, just make finishing the point that arizona probably with some of the bold moves that they've made uh would be one that stands out for me
1: um yeah and then uh finally um Of course, I need to mention the biggest story that's been going on in the NFL has been the case with Deshaun Watson. Uh, As of this taping, uh, now 19 different uh, women have come forward accusing him of uh, sexual assault, uh, sexual harassment uh, in these massage situations or whatever that's going on. Uh, He has not been proven guilty or innocent, for that matter. Uh, Things are still going. These are all civil cases. But how much has this current situation with Deshaun Watson hurt his overall value? And I don't mean not just money wise, but just like how he had been perceived in the league. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson had been, I know for me and many others, he had been perceived as kind of a, uh, not a goody goodie, but you know what I mean? Like,
2: sorry, I was apparently overheating again. I've never seen anything. <laughs> i never that. seen sanity, man. It's your,
1: it's your takes, man. Your takes are too hot. Your phone yeah, so. getting them too hot. This was my yeah. last question actually. So let me see if okay. I can get it later. Um, what are your so? What are your thoughts on the Deshaun Watson situation um, as it's currently constructed right now? How much do you think it's hurt his value, and do you think he'll even play this year?
2: You know, I don't. I, there's no way it couldn't have hurt his value. I think it's sad, Des, that we live in an age where you know the court of public opinion in the social media era, you're tried and convicted in the court of public opinion before anything's ever you know shaken out le- legally, but. It, it it's not it doesn't bode well at all and in his current situation where he wants out anyway what a mess this has become my gosh
1: yeah it's pretty sad that uh you know my panthers were attached to the Texans in terms of Watson and wanting to bring them on and everything uh and then all this happens and it's kind of gone away. uh gotta think I know Brian's having some issues uh with his phone this morning so i'm going to go ahead and let him go we're hoping it's a break anyway we'll be back in just a bit you're listening to franchise players on tobacco road sports radio tobacco